Yes, yes, y'all, that's right. Welcome to another edition of Civic Cipher, where we broadcast the balance and we defend the discourse. I'm your host, Ramses Ja. And uh, just like we normally do around here, we have another very special show. Today's guests are two folks that are very visible out in the streets right now. One of them is a protester, a volunteer, someone who has come out of her comfort zone to really support the cause. Um, and I really thought it was meaningful to, to check in with her. Her name is Tessa Farrell. And uh, we're going to be checking in with her in just a bit. And the man of the hour, the man that I've been wanting to get some time with for, for, for a while now on the show. Um, you've seen him in the newspapers. You've seen him on the news. You've seen him out in the streets. He's a, a champion of the cause, a champion of a decidedly black agenda out on the streets. If, if you go back in the city for any length of time, you'll recognize the name as perhaps... The if, if or else one of the finest MCs to ever come from this city, and I mean that—that's a genuine compliment. Thank you. you know that I mean that because you know I'll tell the story in just a little bit. But uh, the man of the hour today uh, is Rocky Tyrade. So, so thank you for coming on the show. Thank you, thank yes, you, thank yes. you, thank you. All right, so let me paint a, a little bit of a picture about. Me and you and how far we go let's back Let's go back and the way back Okay, let's, let's do that now, I need The people need to know who I'm talking to right now So, um, for those of you who have followed my career in Phoenix uh, As a broadcaster You'll know that I have done a show called Ready Set Radio Prior to that it was called Friday Night Flavors And what we did was we played sort of underground hip-hop music Music that didn't really get the the same look and it didn't have the same uh, machine behind it as you know the, the more pop music the pop version of hip hop songs right um, these were you know sometimes folks call it backpack music sometimes folks call it real hip hop um, but in any case what it did was it gave us an opportunity to play artists who were from Phoenix which is where I live so uh, obviously I worked with a lot of um, artists from the city and uh, a lot of artists who were signed to smaller labels, you know, nationally and internationally. But uh, Rocky Tyrade was just an amazing lyricist, is, I should say, an amazing lyricist. And I know you're not really known for that now, but I got to tell the story the way it, it happened. Well, I guess you are still known <laughs> yeah, for that. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, yeah, come on. But a lot, of folks, a lot of folks that are just getting on, on board, yeah, a lot yeah, of folks yeah. just getting on board. Yeah, I know, know, I know what you mean. That's what I'm I was trying to say. Time. So, um... I'll never forget it. Um, you know, Rocky and I, we would see each other backstage. We would see each other just out on the streets. You know, just um, he would come up to the station from time to time and just hang out. Um, and I discovered that he had this amazing talent. And I wanted to figure out a way to sort of like circumvent the system. You know, when you're doing a radio show, you have to be fair to everybody. And I can't play your song every week or every song that you come out with because there's other people who deserve a place on the show so i decided along with bootleg kev to create a feature on the show that would allow rocky and his amazing talent to be heard by the city every week 
So the feature was called Rocky Tirade at the Podium. And what he would do is a weekly news recap of all the events that took place that week. And he would deliver it to us in rap form. And usually it would be about a minute, minute and a half, something like that. It was a real short feature. But it allowed me to have his name out there every week and display his talent every week, which I thought he was deserving of. Um, it wasn't necessarily a song, so it didn't count toward you know spins or anything like that you know in the, in the industry. So I wasn't cheating. <laughs> I just felt like it was very necessary, and as as the show producer and and host, it was my you know executive privilege slash prerogative to do so, and I stand by that decision. But um, in doing so, I got to hear these rhymes every week, and I noticed that Rocky would take a decidedly Political, oftentimes very liberal uh, approach to the goings on in this country um, or a liberal view, I should say. And, uh, you know, a lot of folks that um, are familiar with, with his music might know him to be very, very much, uh, you know, tell it like it is. Keep it real. You know, I'm not I'm not going to say something that that spares your feelings. But what I found is that there was a lot of empathy or sympathy for the state of things. And there was a lot of calls to action and, and things that, that still exist today in his character out on the streets. And so we were able to do that until you broke everybody's heart and retired the feature. I know you was probably getting <laughs> exhausted <laughs> doing that every week, writing new rhymes every week, but... Um, I would say we probably did that for you know the better part of a year, if yeah. not a full year, something like that. Yeah. And uh, I, I know that a lot of folks were really grateful for that. It really made the show better. Um, and then, and obviously, it gave me a chance to really put on full display um, your talent. So, fast forward till now, Rocky is um, affiliated with a group called We Rising. So do me a favor tell the folks a little bit about what we Re- rising is um so we rising is more of an initiative to you know push for um, equity in the black and brown community um how it came to be was um really i guess the first uh, protests that were taking place in uh late may i think like the 27th 28th uh right after the unfortunate events of uh both george floyd and of course out here in phoenix with Deion johnson so there was a lot of um uproar and things of that nature and you know the, the city wanted to exercise its voice so of course people took it to the streets me having um, a lot of experience with this over the years um, just off and on contributing to these type of events um, knew what to expect how the police are overly aggressive um, you know the uh, threats of tear gassing and you know how they can lead to stampedes and you know just you know learning how to you know make 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 sure that you're hydrated and all these things that younger individuals don't really know of. So, um, you know, we showed up in order kind of like an unofficial, like medic supplies role for the first like day or so. And then noticing there wasn't a lot of, um, individuals out there at that point in time with, ex- with experience. So I just naturally being an MC, I just took to, um, you know, moving the crowd That's what we do. So, um, one thing led to another and next thing you know, we're, leading protests all throughout the weekend and this is at a very like precarious time when Ducey is basically threatening a full-on shutdown of Arizona and all of that and I I feel that 
a lot of these individuals who came together were able to help steer things in the direction where we were able to exercise our First Amendment and um, prevent like the state from completely shutting down and um, inhibiting us from expressing our voice. I was able to run into like-minded individuals um, and we formed We Rising, you know, just off this idea that we can really take this energy and push it toward, towards legislative change. And we started all the way back in the end of May and early June and we're, we're over here on the eve of an ele- election season, a very important one, mind you. And um, it's a testament to all the people that we've met along the way. So, you know, it's, it's been it's been a pretty interesting journey thus far. Okay. Um, and for those that don't know, if you're not in Phoenix, um, Ducey is... Doug Ducey, yeah, the governor. Yeah, the governor of Arizona, Doug Ducey. Um, now, because I know uh, a version of you that was decidedly, you know, 100% in MC, um, and, I, and I recognize that the, the climate in the country have, has changed politically and racially, um, you know, and I, I can speak to the events that kind of took me from what I once did to where I am now. Um, with an old radio station not allowing, you know, a platform for black and brown voices to be heard, to express themselves, to express, you mm-hmm. know, tell the truth about what's going on in the streets. Um, was there a thing for you recently or at any point in time that got you to thinking like, you know what, maybe my voice can go a little bit further than, you know, these four walls inside of a, a concert and on a stage, or maybe my voice can go a little bit further than just being on on you know uh on songs yeah you know i feel like you know if you are a shepherd of like the culture and people follow you and you engage in these things it's you have to do a little bit more than just apply yourself sonically i mean you do you do that like we see you out there all the time you know and it's you have to you have to be of the culture completely like you have to contribute physically you know especially right now um, you know, this we need all hands on deck. This is one of the most important times in history and can go in one way or another, um, both in decidedly like different directions. And we have to make sure that we take the time to invest into our future. And, um, you know, COVID unfortunately set up the, the playing field for us to be able to, excuse me, um, you know, really apply ourselves in that physical manner. So, um, I mean, myself, like I said before, it's something I've always kind of done. I've dabbled in and out of it. But um, given the circumstances right now, it's just given me the, the liberty to really fully apply myself, you know, and seeing some other individuals in our scene do so. It's, um, it's been an encouraging thing to witness. Awesome. OK, very good. Uh, if you're just tuning in, uh, that is Rocky Tyrade uh, from We Rising. Um, he is our guest for today on Civic Cipher, and we also have another guest. Uh, she goes by the name of Tessa Farrell, um, and she uh, works very closely with We Rising. I always see you know her out there um, in support of Rocky. Uh, and the reason why I wanted uh, to have one of the volunteers come up, uh, one of the protesters come up, um, her specifically, is because um, she is white. And she is consistently out on the streets, um, championing this this effort to make the world a more just place for 
her black and brown brothers and sisters. Um, so I, I have to I have to paint this picture. Um, now forgive me because I don't I don't know, but my assumption is that you perhaps grew up in a white house in a predominantly white community. Um, and this is not something that if it if it continued these these uh, injustices by the police by the criminal justice system, this is not something that would affect your life directly or perhaps even indirectly. Um, so I want to ask this question: What was it that moved you to protest in the first place? Um, you know, I I think. I wish I had a, a better answer other than maybe it just feels like something you know inherently you're supposed to do. It's a great answer. <laughs> um, I feel like anytime anyone, an individual, a, a group, what have you, comes to you and says or is sharing their experience and saying there's hurt, there's trauma, there's mistreatment here, um, and then to watch that go on consistently, I feel like you have no other choice but to say how can I help and what do you need um, and I think it kind of to what you said maybe in your your open letter resignation something that really uh, stood out with me um, is that you know I, I consume black culture black and brown culture you know I listen to black music you know I if you will Everybody um, listens to black <laughs> Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, fashion, arts, uh, sports, what have you, across the board, foods. Um, and I can't, you know, I, I share in relationships with black and brown people. And I, you know, I can't say that I enjoy or I'm a part of these things and not turn around and then want to, um, you know, stand up for a cause when these very people are saying they're uh, under attack, you know. Very good. So, so what is it about we rising that spoke to you versus some of the other organizations that have organized, you know, protests or, you know, what have you? What is it about Rocky and his group that has um, kind of mobilized you? Uh, I mean, I think, you know, there are... First, a lot of amazing organizations in the Valley championing around, uh, you know, racial injustice and, um, you know, um, and what is the word I'm trying to say here? Um, like incarceration and deportation. Um, you know, there's a lot of really great organizations doing things for those communities. But, um, you know, very early on, I saw We Rising mobilize uh, at a point where I think time really felt like it was of the essence to really show up for, you know, black and brown lives in the Phoenix community right on, uh, you know, the heels of George Floyd and, like Rocky said, Dion Johnson in our community. And um, in such a short little window, they were able to, you know, get thousands of people to the streets. Um, and then what's, what's continued, that for me, that relationship is... Um, the ways it's continued to grow, the depth at which it feels, you know, from my perspective, that it's continued to grow. So it's not just disruption in the street, but also, um, you know, looks like real, 
like Rocky said, legislative change and, um, you know, policy change and leadership change. And while being in the street is important, um, you know, making sure that that hits at a deeper level is, you know, of equal or greater importance. And it just felt like the organization really had, you know, a full, from my opinion, like, you know, really full perspective and value of all of that. Not that they asked for my opinion, but <laughs> I think that, um, you know, uh, a lot of folks would agree with you. Um, and one group that would agree with you would probably be the Phoenix police themselves, <laughs> because um, in my opinion, a lot of them have been behaving as though they are feeling threatened by what's mm-hmm. happening on the mm-hmm. streets. Absolutely. Which Absolutely. brings me to my next point. My understanding is that a lot of the leadership and all the organizations across the board have been unfairly targeted, persecuted, bullied, arrested, detained, etc. Um, by the Phoenix Police Department in an attempt, deliberate attempt, strategic attempt to quell the movement, to dismantle the leadership, to um, cause division, um, etc. And I know that you were recently a victim of that, Rocky. Um, So tell me about your arrest tell me about the day everything leading up to it and then what happened oh i mean the day in itself we have um an event called uh, we all we got and it's more of an initiative uh to benefit those um who are a part of the unsheltered community so we show up with supplies um sanitation uh products um you know clothes just 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 doing human things like how you do with the uh hashtag lunch bag and everything just that's a very big source of inspiration by the way so thank Thank you. you yeah um, you know, like, and, um, so that day that everything had concluded, we were all getting ready to, um, you know, continue to another event afterwards. And, uh, while leaving, uh, went down, I think Washington got over to 19th. And as soon as I got in the intersection, the car got behind me. You can tell by the silhouette of it that it's a police vehicle. Got halfway into the intersection, hit me at the lights. They all approached from different angles, arrested me. I was taken and my car was taken in under 10 minutes. So if you've ever been ever called like triple A, you know, you're going to sit there for about 30, 45 minutes in the sun, maybe longer. Yeah. So obviously they have um, they have lists. And this is confirmed by individuals who had been arrested prior, who had seen physical lists, seen our faces on there. The person who was arrested prior to me about a week before, he said, yo, Rocky, you know, your face is right next to mine and it's in a red box. I'm like, oh, all right. You know, but um, when it came down to the charges, completely unsubstantiated. Um, you know, one of them, they accused me of an event in which I wasn't even there. Of course, they have all these um, digital cameras where they can like or like digital facial recognition cameras where they can look at your faces through the masks, by the way. That doesn't always protect you. Just, you know. Um, and um, so they obviously know I wasn't there. And one of the days was for a thing called obstructing thoroughfare. And um, there's one real jaywalking crime out here. <laughs> Um, it only applies if you're placing cars in danger. We've been doing this for, uh, we've been having our protests, walking down the street, um, since, um, as we rising since I think the end, I think June 1st, (laughs) 
You know what I'm saying? And um, every time we see a car, we walk past them. Nobody really touches the vehicle. They roll down their window. We may give them water. They may give, give us water. We give them dap. You know, like they honk their horn. We take selfies together. It's, you know, it's a good time. They drive past, you know. And um, this day in which they had to charge me for it, we were walking down the street after another unsheltered event. And the um, they were instructing the cars coming down um, Washington, which is... Um, a westbound street to turn around in the middle of the street and drive towards opposing traffic and you can see the cars like kind of stuttering like is this right and the cops are getting all in their face and trying to turn around and i was like that's super strange and while walking down washington street i can see that around the corner one of the cars was sticking out one of the police vehicles they were getting ready to um to trap us so they can start mass arrests so we led them down another uh road and then we broke off but a couple weeks later, I was arrested for that. But there's other individuals who've experienced worse charges where they may have been like corralled and tased. And now they're squirming and moving out of harm's way because it hurts. That's resisting arrest or somebody, uh, their friend may get pulled in by a cop. Hey, you know, it's pulling the safety because they choke black people out. That's, you know, getting in the way of crime or uh, obstructing a case or whatever it is like. And they find ways to. Um, through unsubstantiated charges to give them real charges that have a better chance of holding in court. And now you know, next, next thing you know, you have all these lead organizers with felonies and disproportionately they're typically black. So um, there, there is like this weird COINTEL pro junior operation going on out here. And oh man, I wish there's so much going on. And the, in terms of how, the police department has been operating outside the confines of their authority. That's a huge part of it, obviously. So, yeah, thank you for sharing that. I, I feel like it's really important that a lot of folks know just the amount of uh, risk that comes with trying to be a champion on the streets. A lot of it will frame you. They will legitimately frame you. Yeah, yeah, that's what it sounds like. It's just unfair, and you know, I'm sure that these charges are a matter of public record, so people can go and see them. And if they're all as minor of a crime as as you describe them as, um, which I do believe, yeah, yeah, absolutely, um, then people will see that you know, okay, well, our brothers and sisters are you know fighting the good fight, but this is nothing new. This is oh, not yeah. even this, close this to anything new. This is going been, on. Saw grandparents. Yeah, you know, yeah so it's hard to complain about it. We're yeah. just shedding light. Like, hey, this is still going on. You know, it's no right. different than what our grandparents experienced. It's no different than maybe not as like overt as your move bombings in Philly or whatever, or sure. your Fred Hamptons. But they still use that level of like, um, like subversive like tactics and things of that nature in order to work outside of the law and spin the media in a way and so such that people believe that we're looting and rioting i haven't seen a flimsy water bottle thrown at a cop since like may 27th you know yeah like so yeah and and it's it's so funny how something like that could get someone arrested and potentially um hemmed up on some trumped up felony charges when yeah. the police can literally split your head open yeah and yeah you can die on the sidewalk yeah and nothing absolutely. happens there so just the uh I mean, if you're if you're listening to my voice, and obviously you understand that um, that it's it's definitely a, a an unfair uh, advantage that the police have when it comes to that. But you know, you this moment, we rising definitely has the numbers of the people. I've seen that, so so my hats off to you for that. Um, so I wanted I want to talk about something good because you know obviously there's a lot of 
difficulty that comes with trying to change the world. But let's talk about some of the changes that you've uh, made so far. Um, I know one of the or, or some of the positive impacts that you've made so far. I know one of them is that um, that was celebrated by We Rising is that there was a. Uh, I, I want to say she was like a, a chief of police in Tempe. She resigned. Oh, like Chief Chief Moore. Um, uh, there were no, some changes with city council too. Yeah, um, recently. So. Oh, about- I mean, yeah. So I mean, you know, it's it's one of those things where I won't say directly responsible because everybody's like directly responsible, but we've helped contribute to an awakening, like a, a political awakening. We as in not just we rising, but everybody out there, you know, where like it, it's cool, it's sexy to vote, it's sexy to, to like to contribute to the political system and things of that nature. And there's so many people who have like minded goals and things of that nature who are part of or aspire to be part of like elected um, officials, like, you know, that whole body of like political involvement. And, you know, we we inadvertently cha- champion for these individuals. You know, I mean, there's been so many changes like, I mean, from um specific um uh you know politicians and things of that nature who are now um vying to secure seats and representation of the people to individuals who already won in the primaries um and it's it's been it's been beautiful seeing the um everything just kind of ripple the rippling effect of just being out there and being a part of this structure so yeah there's a lot of uh, changes that are taking place right good, now good um and I, I think it's important to to really mention that because you know i'm trying to spare names so i'm here in, in representation of we rising just to be complete i'm not just there's substance in it but part of organizations is like you can't directly say names and sure, I, sure. I find i'm, I'm gonna see i think a lot of this is bs but um I, I, there's there's a lot of individuals um who we kind of indirectly champion um, because they do represent, um, you know, the greater good of Maricopa County. And um, there are ways we do it, like telling people not to vote for Alistair Adele. I can say that. Sure. sure. <laughs> you can just do the math from there. Can we say it twice? Yeah, don't vote for Alistair Adele, please. <laughs> Jesus Christ. While we're here. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, I do understand, you know, that you have to, you know, mind the optics. That's something that I, obviously, that I understand because right. I have to work with a lot of organizations and you and you and you said something earlier you said that um you know a lot of organizations were responsible for for a lot of the changes it, it takes you know um a lot of different voices usually to move the uh the the, the powers that be yeah. to um take action uh obviously a very notable example of this is where there's a martin luther king jr uh, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and Malcolm X, you know, and if if you realize that you're going to get it from both sides and you're going to pick a side, then you're going to pick the side that says, you know, um, this might be a little easier on everybody if I go in this this, this direction with Dr. Martin, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. So let's negotiate through him, with him, by him, for him, and then hopefully we'll you know, check most of the boxes on the other side as well, and everybody oh, moves yeah. forward. So, with that in mind, um, I do. I, I don't mean this to be a divisive question at all, because I do believe that everybody has a seat at the table. Obviously, everyone has a seat at this table, and it takes all of us to move forward. We all are in this together as Black folks. But I do know that there are some differences in philosophy um, with 
you and with We Rising than some of the other organizations that are out on the streets. And I think it's important to identify and outline those so that people that are listening to you today, if they feel like perhaps their personal philosophy aligns with that of We Rising or that of you personally, will be moved to come and support um, and to help further a specific um, We Rising agenda. So what is it that makes We Rising's philosophy different from some of the other um, groups out there? Um, I guess we understand that this is a long-term process. You know, we can't uh, just show up at the door and demand things to change overnight. And, um, you know, we do have some similar ideas with uh, different organizations. Um, But it's just... um, if we work in unison, understanding that one person is going to pick up the ball and then, you know, shuffle past it to the other individual for the dunk, you know, uh, if we work with that mind state, we're able to really push for change. But I think um, I think people consider it more like universally like palatable because um, we try to implement a specific like system step by step. And, you know, first, you know, we engage with the people, we educate the people. At, you know, universally and understand, uh, make them understand um, the nuances of like, you know, the, the structure of like racial nepotism and, you know, institutional, um, you know, prejudice and things of that nature, systemic racism, if you will, and how they're, how they're, them living in a specific at, like part of that society because it is stratified, um, how they, their viewpoint may be skewed by that. So how do you apply yourself, you know, from like, say, a white privilege standpoint? How do you educate yourself? How do you continuously educate yourself and those around you? Um, And it's just more, we approach things from a more like organized, like structural aspect. You know, how does every aspect of society um, play a role in this, you know? Um, And I think if you work in unison, that's one of those things that will help push these changes and bring some of those other changes that other organizations do want at the end of the day. Because, you know, like there, some people talk about the difference between um, not reform or anything of that nature, but like, say, just straight defunding the police and outright abolishment. Um, if you look at the timetable of abolishment, for instance, like you first start with defunding, you start with a reformative measure, you start with reallocating these funds towards community structured um, initiatives and things of that nature, and you move along the lines. And it's one of those things where we plant the seed and water it, it sprouts, the next organization plants the seed, it grows, and the next generation comes in, etc. Next thing you know, you have shade, you continue to water that societal plant. Next thing you know, you have fruit and you're able to bear the sustenance of your hard labor. So, you know, I think that's how I look at it. Like it's no it's a separate but equal sort of thing. So well you know, said. So we try to educate the people on. You know, I was I, I was worried that you were gonna go in the direction of a politically correct answer, but oh, no, you nah, nailed it. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute, this don't sound right, but no, you nailed it. That was a home run. I'll I'll take that. Thank you. Um so if you're just tuning in to Civic Cipher, uh I'm your host Ramses Jaw. The voice you just heard was that of Rocky Tirade from the We Rising movement. Um, my other guest today is Tessa Farrell, um, one of the long-time protest volunteers um, that has supported this movement. And I want to ask you something. Rocky just mentioned um, 
white privilege, uh, white supremacy. Um, as a white woman, I'm going to paint a little bit of a picture here. Um, you're born into a society that uh, is a effectively a white supremacist society. Um, and even if you don't believe that to be true, even if the person listening to my voice doesn't believe that to be true, um, certainly the benefits of this imaginary quote unquote white supremacist society are benefits that you experience in your day to day life. Um, you are very much protected. If something happens to you, everyone comes to your aid as opposed to, let's say you were born a black woman. It would be a very different world for you and, and uh, a lot of different challenges there. Um, and obviously you understand that and have been moved to make the world a little bit more equal for your black and brown brothers and sisters as illustrated by the fact that you continually come out and support the We Rising movement. You continually come out and protest the injustices endured by black and brown people at the hands of the police and other white supremacist institutions. Um, my question is designed to paint a picture for folks who maybe they, their heart goes out. You know, maybe they, they come from a similar background or the same background. Maybe they are white women. Maybe they are white folks. Maybe they're just, you know, maybe they, they want to make a connection, but they have not been able to because of one reason or another. But I want to ask you, what is it that... Well, first off, do you acknowledge that white supremacy is a thing? Yes or no? Yes. Okay. okay. Uh, yes. I, I mean, sort we have of a lot of politicians that won't say it. Yes. Okay. Yes. I don't mean to put you white on the spot. White privilege is, is real. White supremacy is real. Very good. Um, and I don't mean to put you on the spot, no. um, but it, it, it helps to establish that before we go into the next question. How is it that um, you are able to find your way through uh, your, your normal walk? in life and challenge white supremacy in your in your own travels when it benefits you so much in other words are, are you like let's say you're at a dinner table with you know a family members who might not see the world the same way that you do or you know you're just living your normal life and you overhear someone say something you know how is it that you have are able to take on the, the challenge of dismantling these systems in your day-to-day -day life? I think that just I, maybe for me it looks like the recognition that even in what I think I understand about white privilege, um, the ways that I can easily identify it, you know, interactions with police, um, you know, even shopping in a store and not being profiled or anything along those lines that we know to be very obvious, that there are also so many ways in which it's not obvious to me even um, where I'm at now that um, kind of what we talk about implicit bias areas in my life where I don't even realize how deeply that uh, white privilege is woven because it's such a framework you know put such a part of my identity that there are so many ways in which I'm probably receiving benefit and reward and I'm not even aware of that so I think it just um, challenges me and 
in all aspects to continue to try to dissect what that really looks like and ways in which I support that. You know, it's one thing to be aware of your white privilege, but still ultimately my whiteness contributes to other people's oppression, no matter how many ways I would try to, you know, circumvent that or or otherwise change that as our system sits now, my existence still contributes to that for others. Um, Do you does that make sense? <laughs> it does. It does. Um, uh-huh. And I think that... So it's just being so, conscious, I think, that, that in no matter what I do, um, that I still carry that privilege and that that privilege still ultimately affects other people around me. Sure, sure. Um, and one of the reasons why I thought it was important to at least invite you to come and share a little bit of your story is because you told me a story recently about... Um, so I, I think you have like a sticker on your car or something like that. Um, and someone, uh, said something to you and you jumped out of your car, uh, sort of like mighty mouse ready to fight and the confidence that comes with that and the, and the confidence that comes with knowing I'm not going to be arrested. I'm not going to yeah, not confidence know. privilege. <laughs> it's a sure, privilege. Sure. That so comes this with is, that. I, so I want you to tell this story because I think it's important to like really, really explain what it's like to use your privilege to help the underprivileged. And I think that that story really speaks to that. So Uh, what happened? How did this start? Yeah, I was, I was leaving the grocery store the other day and some man, a white man started tailing me and flipping me off um, very aggressively. Um, You know, when I told you so much so that at the time I thought like maybe he was doing it to music because it was like, you know, he like he did it in such a way that I was like, "What?" Like there was there had been no interaction for like that for his actions to be warranted in my mind. So I thought like maybe he was feeling a song and he was you know just like going about um, I don't know because nothing had happened to me that like warranted that. And um, then it became very clear to me in that moment that it was related to like you said a a sign that i have in my window um that says say their names and then it says black lives matter um, black women's lives matter what have you black trans lives matter um and he kept tailing me and it was getting more and more aggressive he was you know following me in lanes and so i finally parked my car uh in the intersection (laughs) and got out um, and kind of confronted him you know, in a matter of speaking. No, tell me, <laughs> uh, tell me what happened. Uh, can I cuss on here? No, uh, I wouldn't do okay. that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I just, I just told him if he had a problem to 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 say what the problem was and uh, you know get out of your car. Expletives, expletives, expletives. Um, and he would not do that. Um, ultimately, that did not happen. Uh, it, it continued on. We turned another corner and I got out again and was like, if you, you know, you're trying to make a point, like, what's your point? Let's do this. Like you want to dance, let's go. But, um, I think to the point you're making here, right. Is that, uh, I know in those moments that there's also a safety net there. Um, one that that man is white also, because I don't ever want to draw attention to, you know, um, um, like had that for whatever under other circumstances been a man of color or a person of color, um, you know, would never had there been an issue want to, draw attention that could warrant police interference um because i know whatever the optics might be that that i I further endangered that person's life regardless of whatever altercations taking place between that person and i um but also in those moments that the privilege in getting out and knowing that i can 
that I can stand there, that I can do those things that that all the passerbys watching, that all the people in their cars that are not moving because I've created such a scene, um, you know, are ultimately not calling the police because it doesn't look good that this guy's yelling at a little white girl. You know, like the optics all the way look, put me in favor. And that's my white, that's my white privilege uh, working in my favor um, in those instances, hopefully in those moments, maybe not that one exactly. You know, it, it fosters a conversation or a space where we can educate or create some kind of, you know, safety or awareness or something. Um, but yeah, <laughs> I want to, I want to say something like, uh, you know, to anybody, um, that's listening, you know, f- for a lot of us black folks, that's like a superpower. That's sure. that's absolutely, absolutely. A superpower. That, it's a cloak. I feel like you know. Yeah, like you <laughs> Only know, take it off. If 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 someone else jumps out of the car immediately, you're the one being aggressive. Someone of of color jumps mm-hmm. out of the car, you're the aggressor. You know, it doesn't matter what the backstory exactly. is. No one right. no one cares to hear that he was following you, flipping you off. That you're the aggressor, um, and just knowing that prevents you from standing up from yourself. And I think that uh, a black life is a life oftentimes especially in instances like that that is devoid of dignity your your best bet the path of least resistance is to just keep your head down and let it pass and we've seen that happen with the elders and and the generations that came before us when they were bullied and they were you know uh recently i did a show with dr westenberg she talked Mm. about growing up such you know, a legend. she's in her 70s. Such a legend. Absolutely. And she talked about growing up where there were just certain things that you just had to endure or you risk paying for that with your life. Absolutely. And so that very much does, to me, feel like, like a superpower. And, sure. and when you use that superpower to um, enrich and to encourage and to you know, further create a world that is based in fairness and in, in truth for your black and brown brothers and sisters, then that's something that is definitely appreciated. So I'm glad that you got to come up and, and share that story. Um, I want to ask you another question. Are, have there been any, like, more direct instances of people, uh, non-sympathizers, um, kind of, asking funny questions or, or picking on you because I do recognize that that does happen a lot for a lot of folks who are not black but want to come out and support a black movement is that something that you've experienced in your life um I mean certainly you know I think I chalk up most of it to being you know like internet trolls and stuff is really where it seems to manifest more often than not in uh my world you know people will send angry messages or you know comment on things you know, saying hateful and ugly things, but really I think ultimately it's par for the course um, and just something that as much as I can, you know, disregard um, just in that I know whatever I'm experiencing is but a fraction of what, you know, black people are experiencing just merely for existing. You know, I'm like, quote unquote, taking a stance by saying that, you know, black lives matter, um, but ultimately black lives are you know receive backlash and hate just for existing so i think that um you know i don't i don't give it a lot of weight sometimes it riles me up and i yell at people at intersections and streets but um sometimes you gotta do it. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> sometimes the moment calls for it uh, but ultimately you know i yes but no more so than 
you know, any other advocate in the movement likely and certainly less than, you know, black leaders and black folk and black and brown folk in our communities. So very good. Um, if you're just tuning in to Civic Cipher, uh, I'm your host, Ramses Jow. The voice you just heard was that of Tessa Farrell, uh, a longtime volunteer um, and activist with the We Rising movement um, organization. Um, and, you know, I, I will say that, you know, that that's that's not something that. I take lightly. A lot of folks were out on the streets, you know, uh, you know, closer to the beginning, middle of the year. Um, the numbers have kind of the movement hasn't dwindled, but the numbers on the streets have certainly they kind of took a big hit, you know, as the summer kind of wore on because it's really yeah, hot. It's in hot, Arizona, you know, COVID and everything. COVID. That yeah, too. You know. um, but, um, you know, my hat's off to you to uh, for just continuing to kind of you know stay out on the streets and i i don't believe you've been arrested or no. anything yet so you know. yeah yet maybe yeah. it's yeah. really at this point right well I, my understanding <laughs> is that a lot of the folks uh that have been targeted as rocky said earlier um have been uh black and 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 brown folks uh, especially with black like sub- substantial with the you know the harsher charges and things of that nature sure the ones who are still in jail yeah absolutely okay uh, there's individuals who just happen to be arrested and things of that nature shout out to them for placing themselves out there and utilizing their privilege but um uh when i speak about arrests and things of that nature it's definitely reference in, in reference to you know the black, black and brown um, organize, lead organizers and things of that nature that have been single single handedly targeted. So sure, sure. Excuse me. So if um, if you, well, how about this? Mm-hmm. With all the things that you're you're doing, what what are the changes that you would like to see in the future with the We Rising uh, movement? Um, you know, just seeing more people take the opportunity to, um, you know, apply themselves politically, you know, like we're in a voting season, but it's so much more than voting. Like once we vote, we can't just go back to our normal lives. We have to be aware of what's going on, what our elected officials are doing. They can't be allowed to exist in this world by themselves where they can only hold themselves accountable. We have to be the ones to demand transparency. Um, you know, like I say, um, presence leads to pressure pressure leads to accountability you know so um explain what you mean when you say uh we have to be the ones to demand transparency we have to be aware of what's going on like you know you don't have to always we all have people have lives and kids and jobs and relationships and things of that nature but just taking the time to okay here's the next uh, city council meeting and you can just find out by going to phoenix.gov and you know just take five minutes out of your lunch break and just scroll through what they're going to be talking about. You know, you have liquor license and things of that nature, but then you see a donation for $218,000 to the police department. You um, see neighborhood block watch uh, things. Um, You see uh, why, you know, there's a conversation about changing offensive names in Phoenix. That's been going on for years. And, you know, like just these subtle, these nuances that, that really make up, the identity that is Phoenix, Arizona, like you can just be cognizant by taking the time to look through these things, see where your elected officials um, view these initiatives going, you know, what they voted on their their track record by going to ballotpedia.com and looking at your elected officials. But I guess you asked me a direct question. What I'd like to see 
And that's more representation from from us on all fields, not just like um, people running for like mayor or, you know, like famous or well-recognized seats. But, you know, look at um, your county of uh, the Maricopa County Board of Supervisors, which, you know, deals with so many things that govern our lives, even for those who want to defund the police. They they work with the uh, the sheriff's budget. They help in nominate um, uh, the county um, attorney, Alistair Dell, back then. You know, like these, these are things that people like us are vying to be a part of. And, you know, representation is important, you know, for instance, with the um, the county board of supervisors, you have like a Whitney Walker, you have a Jevin Hodge, you know, those are, are interesting people to look into. Um, you know, that's more again about representation, um, you know, and even down to Mert speaking about the civilian review board, we want to make sure that these things are represented by day to day um, black and brown and indigenous people who understand our experiences here in Maricopa County. Uh, we have to, I know that that conversation amongst black folks a seated at the table. Do we want one? Do we want, do we not want one? But you know, we all li- live in the same country together and we need to be cognizant of what's going on. The only way is to demand and force ourselves into the room. We can't just ask by voting for one or two people. No, we have to show up and, and push everybody through the door, you know, and, um, you know, there's there's a, a very powerful individual in this community. Uh, he they were speaking about like this um, this black blitz that we need to um, we need to push for in terms of, you know, demanding equity. And the only way we can do that is having equal representation in these in these seats. So representation, that's what we want to see. Okay. Definitely. Absolutely. Um, and another thing that just kind of came to mind um, as you were speaking is. You know, obviously, when we heard, um, you know, the plan of action or lack thereof with respect to Dion Johnson, um, uh, and if you don't know, Dion Johnson was uh, murdered by the uh, DPS, and um, I think his name was Officer Cervantes, was the one who took his life, um, needlessly, and then let him suffer, wiggle around on the side of the freeway for however long it was until he ultimately um, passed away. Um, And then there was going to be no action taken against that, you know, after they investigated, you know, um, when you were talking about transparency, what came to mind, at least in my brain was um, transparency with respect to, you know, investigations, because um, no one will feel like justice has been served. If the police commit the crime, and then the police investigate themselves and then clear themselves of the crime. Exactly. exactly. Um, it just doesn't really seem fair to have them still be called public servants. Exactly. Um, when they can do that. So uh, I absolutely, I think that transparency on all fronts um, is really going to help uh, start us down a path that is going to allow us to be more informed and it's going to curtail a lot of the, uh, uh, um, underhanded goings on that take place behind the scenes or beyond the view of just the general public, the folks that you see, you're, you're saying just have jobs and normal lives and go on about their business, but are ultimately affected either directly or indirectly by, um, you know, the criminal justice system, by, you know, um, 
you know, the way monies are spent in communities uh, and on and on. Um, and so I'll answer this first. If I could see one change happen right now, if I was, if I could snap my fingers and see one change, it would probably be that that um, there was transparency in investigations or otherwise that the, the people were able to put together an independent council to investigate, um, you know, uh, police compl- complaints in the police uh, brutality and so forth. I think that that would be a great place to start toward fixing everything. So if I could snap my fingers and make one change, that would be it. If you could snap your fingers right now and make one change that you think would help the most, or at least if there's a critical process here, um, be the first step toward helping the most, what would you, what would you change? Dang. That's a tough one, right? Um, I picked a good one. <laughs> no, you picked, yeah, you picked a good one. I mean, because do I want to be realistic or, you know, like from, you know, an idealistic standpoint, like I guess, you know, I, I would just refrain, refrain back to, uh, defer back to what I was talking about before. Sure. Uh, I would defer back to me saying that we need transparency okay. um, by having um, our, our people within these elected seats. We need complete representation because with that, you, you're able to govern from a standpoint that everybody from these underrepresented, marginalized, disparaged communities now have a voice. And it's not just this speculative, um, my chief of staff gave me this information uh, before lunch break, um, you know, type of governing. And um, you're able to make fair approaches from a political standpoint um, with this in the back of your mind. You know, that's why, again, when we're talking about these review boards, we do want people that look like us that come from our backgrounds to um, to be able to stand up and say, no, there's cases like this. I can point to this, I can, this case, I can point to an Antonio Arce, you know, I can point to Dalvin Hollins, you know, and, um, these run along the same courses, you know, like, um, so I, I definitely think me right now, just freestyling it, I'd say that, uh, proper representation, um, you know, because there's so many other things we can talk about, like, and it's systemic racism. Okay, cool. That's just a generalized statement. But sure, how did we get through there? So I like to try at this point, think of things from like a strategic step-by-step process. You know, you win the battles to win the war. Very good. So, okay. and once we see our faces there, I feel more confident in putting some of those more, those big dreams out there, you know? Very <laughs> so, good. Okay. I'll take that. Um and if you're just tuning in to Civic Cipher, I'm your host, Ramses Jow. The voice you just heard was Rocky Tyraid uh, of the uh, of We Rising, um, one of the groups that has taken to the streets in recent months to protest police uh, brutalities and injustices on black and brown bodies. My other guest is Tessa Farrell, one of the um, longtime volunteers and protesters uh, from We Rising as well. And I want to ask you a similar question. Above all else, what is one thing that you would like to see change? Okay, if we're saying one thing and not one, the one. thing. Yeah, 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 <laughs> Felt right. like the pressure before was the thing. So um, I'm going to say one thing for me. Um, well, I guess how do I want to approach this? Should I speak on whiteness or should I also speak on what I believe is uh accessibility i'm going to touch on accessibility because it's something that um is important 
is sits deeply for me is the accessibility to um, adequate food and nutrition and uh, education. And I think those systems we know um, by way neighborhoods and the way neighborhoods of uh, you know the, the racist history of the way neighborhoods were created and um, division lines in our Look up redlining. In our, yeah, oh in our gosh. community and our school systems um, that possibly you know in order for um, what is often you know black and brown youth to ever even get to a place of having the kind of voice that um, they're they're capable of, they first have to be able to um, you know receive the kind of education and access to food and all of those things that are a part of the same system. You can't be learning if you're hungry. You can't, you know, all those things to me kind of uh, fall into one sort of similar category. Um, and it's just the, the accessibility to our most basic needs, housing, um, all of those things, internet anymore. You know, we know that all of these things exist in pockets and there are large deserts um, within communities where all of this is not accessible. And without those things, um, you know, the babies never get to the place they can be <laughs> uh, to to make the change that's needed. So accessibility is powerful. Yeah. Absolutely, um, I, I, it brings to mind there was a I think it was a uh, a program in Philadelphia or, or some some it was a, it was a city on the East Coast and uh, what they did was they supplied a bunch of kids in low income communities with glasses. And they found out that the reading levels of, you know, first, second, third graders shot up by like 70 percent or something crazy like that, um, which was which is great. But I think that on a on a broader level illustrates the fact that a lack of resources and a lack of access to resources like you mentioned, you know, um, food, um, basic necessities, things like glasses that kind of are easily accessible when you have money when you have wealth when you're controlling the narrative and you know the politics and the criminal justice system and so forth um just having access to things like that really levels the playing field quite a bit for black and brown folks um but uh you know we're almost out of time here so what i want to do um with the last uh, minute or so is point people in your direction um so if people wanted to you know, follow what Re- we rising is doing. How do they do so? Social media, website. Yeah, social media is probably the best bet. You know, so Instagram will be um, we rising pro- the we rising project, um, and on Twitter it's we rising project. Um, but uh, yeah, we're always always looking to build with individuals. You know, it's this is uh it's this something that takes a uh, universal effort. So, and also do me a favor, uh, check out Rocky Tirade's music. Um, just. R-O-Q-Y-T-Y-R-A-I-D um, Just so that you'll kind of get a little bit of that background That he and I have um, And that's going to do it for us here on Civic Cipher Thanks for uh, tuning in And check us out next week, same time, same channel In the meantime, you can hit the website CivicCypher.com to submit your questions and topics And of course, to donate We appreciate all your donations uh, And be sure to follow our social media At Civic Cipher. Peace